What's up, Southcrest Church? How are we doing? You guys good? Man, welcome. Welcome, welcome to Southcrest Church. My name's Matt. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. It's an absolute privilege to be standing in front of you today. Uh, if you are joining us on Facebook, uh, welcome. We've had tons of people over the summer join us and uh, worship from all across the country uh, on vacation and stuff. So welcome. Also, LaGrange Campus. We are live between two cities. We have uh, about 30 miles down the road. We have a multi-site campus, and uh, it's our family down there, and we love them. Let's give it up for LaGrange. We love you guys. So yeah, we're right in the middle of our At the Lake series. We're taking a look at instances in the life of Jesus and the ministry that he did around the Sea of Galilee. And so today we're going to be in Matthew 5, and we're going to be looking at what I've titled, The Life We All Crave. The Life That We All Crave. You know, one of the things I absolutely love doing is getting on Zillow.com and looking at properties I absolutely cannot afford. Anybody else do that? Am I, do, do, y'all, y'all do that. Don't, don't lie. Okay, thank you, man. Yeah. So we take a look at properties that we cannot afford and we think, man, it would be the life. It would be incredible to live in a home like this. And I've got one I want to show you. I love properties that are on the water, on the lake. And so I had the privilege of playing golf at Reynolds Plantation about a year or so ago. And on uh, Oconee Lake, amazing golf courses there. And um, after that, we got the boat and we got the fish. And so we're coming around this bend and we come around and we see this home and the moment I saw it, I said, I'm looking that up on Zillow. Dude, I'm looking at this home on Zillow. So check this thing out. It's a very reasonable 10 and a half million, a very conservative 14,000 square feet, okay? Very conservative. Let's go through a couple of these photos. I just want to show you. I mean, absolutely stunning home, beautiful home. Okay, go to the next one. I guess this is an office in there. Not my style. You know, I'd have to redecorate. You know, we do that. We look at homes and say, ah, that's terrible. You know, anyway, next one. This guy's got an elephant head. Do you see this thing? That's incredible, man. I don't know if that's even legal. Oh yeah. Infinity pool. That's amazing, right? What a view. It's incredible. I think about what life would be like right there. And look at this stunning, right? Lord, I, I would do my devotional right there. Lord, I would do my devotional right there. If you would see it fit, God, to give me a home like this. And we we look at these properties and think, man, this is gorgeous, right? It's amazing. We also like to live kind of vicariously through people who have gone from nothing to something. For instance, Steph Curry. Uh, He's a basketball player that plays for Golden State Warriors. He just signed the most expensive basketball contract in the history of the game at $201 million for five years. $201 $201 million in five years. And I always do the math. I break it down. What is that per year? Because it's just over $40 million a year. And then I'm like, okay, that's still a lot. I need to break it down into days, right? How much money is that per day? That's $110,000 every day for the next five years of that man's life. Could you imagine living with that kind of power? It's unbelievable. And this guy, he's 25 years old. His name's Hugh. He just became uh, the Duke of Westminster. 25 years old, he just inherited $12 billion. I I, I couldn't imagine what life would be like, right? That's something that there is to be desired. You know, it's the great American dream uh, to live a life. I heard it said this way. The American dream is this, to reach a point in your life where you don't have to do anything you want to do, And yet at the same time, you have the ability to do whatever it is that you want to do. That is the American dream. 
You see, if I was to poll each person in this room, your dream, your American dream would probably look a little bit different from one another. Maybe you like the beach, maybe you like the lake, maybe you like the mountains, or maybe you don't want a big house, maybe you want a lot of houses across the, I don't know, whatever it is. Uh, because here's the deal, we all have our own idea of what makes us truly happy, and that differs from one another. Uh, this guy's name's Blaise Pascal, he's an old philosopher, he says it this way. All men seek happiness. This is without exception. All men, that's me and you, everybody that's on the earth, it's without exception. We seek happiness. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it is the same desire in both attended with different views. The next slide says this, the will never takes the least step but to this object. This is the motive of every action of every man, even of those who hang themselves. You see, in life, even the people that end their life, they believe that right now they are not happy. They believe that, that something's missing and that on the other side of this, uh, there will be gain, there, uh, there will be, happiness will be uh, gained there. You see, all of us seek happiness because we all want to live a life of meaningfulness. We all want to live a fun life, the dream life. You see, I think that the great American dream ought to be renamed just simply the human dream because I, I believe this desire is put inside of us by God. Nobody actually wants to, sets out to live a life that's terrible, a life of pain, uh, a terrible, meaningless life. Nobody sets out that way. We all desire to live a life of happiness. I read a book, or at least I kind of skimmed through a book uh, by Bronnie Ware, um, there, she's a nurse that deals with uh, terminally ill patients, patients that are on the last, basically, weeks of their life and few days of their life, and she cares for uh, these people in their last few moments. And she wrote a book. She wrote a book. It's, a, it's entitled Top Five Regrets of the Dying. She compiled all of her years serving these people into top, the top five. She would ask, hey, what, what's your biggest regret in life? And, and I want to read these to you. It says, I wish I had the courage, number one, I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. Number two, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. She interviewed a lot of men that have, you know, that just worked themselves to death and they missed out on, on their church life and they missed out on things that, that were important, um, their family, their, their spouse. Number three, I wish I had the courage to express my feelings. Number four, I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. And number five, I wish I had let myself be happier. People at the end of their life are regretting the fact that they did not live a life that made them happy. So why? What, what is it, right? What is it? Um, you know, so what, what is happiness, what is happiness? I want to make a general statement, and no, not everybody falls under this category, but in the Western world, it seems to be that happiness is gained through the tangible, what we can put our hands on, the things that we can possess and accumulate, the, the number in our bank account, or um, the, the next position uh, that I can gain at my work, or it always seems that happiness is just on the other side of whatever it is, X, Y, and Z, that you don't currently have. We've all kind of bought into the lie, and even myself have bought into this lie of, of the things that I own and possess, if I would just have a little bit more, I'd be happy. Just a little bit more, and I'd be happy. 
You see, let me ask you this question. What makes you happy? What makes you happy? You see, that question is so important because it will ultimately determine how you spend your time. It will determine how you leverage your influence. It will determine how you spend your money. And ultimately, it will determine the regrets that you have in this life. You see, here's one thing that I know in, all, in 35 years of living on the earth and all my study and all, you know, looking at uh, Bronnie Ware's book here. Here's what I know. Regret is inevitable when we pursue happiness down the wrong path. Regret is absolutely inevitable if we pursue happiness down the wrong path. Think about it. For those people that she's interviewing, you know, in that very moment, at the end of their life, everything they accumulated and everything that they attained can do absolutely nothing for them in that moment. That's why they're living a life of regret. That's why they have regret. And so what's cool is that the good news is that God prescribes us a way to be truly happy. He gives us a plan to achieve and to gain true happiness. And I want to walk you through it really quick. It's in Matthew 5. This is the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, we're going to be primarily looking at the Beatitudes, all right? And I want to, before we read it, I want to give you a little bit of background, okay? We have this photo. Uh, Pastor Sean actually took this photo when he was in Israel. And they believe, scholars believe, that in and around kind of this area would be the very spot Jesus stood and delivered the Sermon on the Mount. And so we know that the disciples came up close to him and uh, that large crowds of people were just below And they overlooked this sea of Galilee. And it's amazing to think, I always try to put myself in those moments to hear Jesus deliver the most important sermon of his ministry. You see it... Just to give you a little background, Jesus just got out of the desert. He was tempted by the devil. He, he kicked the devil to the curb, and uh, he called his 12 disciples, and all of a sudden he began doing his earthly ministry. He began doing signs and wonders, right? He's healing people, and all, and all these people, these crowds are gathering. They're gathering around. They're like, could this, could this be the Messiah? Could this be the one that we were, we were waiting for? Could this be our king that's going to come in and overthrow all these earthly kingdoms and set us up for good? Could this be the guy? So the crowds gathered. They were whispering. They were talking. And they wanted to hear. They wanted to hear Jesus' plan. They wanted to see and hear Jesus' plan for their convenience and for their comfort and uh, how Jesus was going to solve all of their problems. They wanted to know Jesus' plan to make them happy. And so Jesus stands up. And this is what he delivers. Matthew 5, verse 1. We'll start here. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were right 
before, who were before you. Um, this word blessed that he uses over and over and over can be defined as this. Blessed means happy are or fortunate are or congratulations to. So you could replace that word blessed with those words. You could say happy are the poor in spirit or congratulations to the people who mourn. Um, happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And you can imagine in that moment, all the disciples in the crowds are think, probably thinking, Jesus, are you absolutely crazy? Because my list for my happiness, none of this junk is on there. Like I need a house on a lake, you know, with a boat, okay? You see, Jesus is not prescribing here how to be happy on earth. He's actually giving us a prescription as to be happy as a disciple in the kingdom of God. It's a perspective issue. It's completely countercultural. You see, when you and I, when we pray and we receive Christ, we put our name on the dotted line and say, yes, I accept you, Jesus, into my life, we are, we are saying in that moment that we, are, that we choose to live a life completely against what culture and this, and this earth says we should live. Jesus is laying out that kingdom, what it is right here. It's the eternal versus the temporal. It's the eternal versus the temporal. The, the temporal. Uh, I want to walk through each and every one of these real quick. I want to break them down. I'm not going to spend too much time. Honestly, you could spend an hour per one, but I just want to give you a quick overview. If you want to go back and study it, it's an awesome study. But this is what Jesus is doing. He's giving us a glimpse into what the, the values of the kingdom of God are, and he's revealing who God is and what Jesus and God is simply all about. And I want you to keep this in mind as well. When you look at this list, right, we're looking at, we're not looking at individual groups. Like over here, we have the poor in, poor in spirit, okay? And over here, we have the mourners, and they're super sad, so they're over here, and they're crying, so it's okay. And then here's the people that hung, no, these aren't individual groups, but these are all values that you and I need to have evident in our own lives, every single one of them. It's vitally, vitally important. Number one, let's roll through these. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What this means right here simply means spiritually bankrupt. Understanding that we have nothing outside of God, that in and of yourself there's nothing good, and in and of yourself you have no answers, and you can give yourself, you can't give yourself life. And in Jesus, you absolutely have everything. Here's the blessing tied to that. The blessing is, is theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If we live poor in spirit with this understanding that Jesus is everything and we are nothing, we gain everything. We gain heaven. We get ownership into the kingdom of God. How incredible is that? The next one, blessed are those who mourn. Um, these are people, not just simply people that are going through bereavement or have lost a loved one, but it's actually in concession, uh, consecutive to the first one, and that are people who are completely broken over your sin and the sins of the world. In my opinion, I feel like Christian culture these days have kind of lost this art. You know, we, we sin, we fail, we go to the church, we're like, oh man, we're, all right, I'm sorry. And then we go back to the, and we're like, oh yeah, I sin, I'm sorry. And we, and we just keep doing this life, this, this back and forth life, and, and, and we, just don't, we just don't care. It doesn't weigh on us. We have to remember that what is inside of us is wrong, and that's what Jesus is saying. We need to grieve over what's wrong inside of our hearts. And it should, and it should change us. Now, do we stay in a state of mourning? Absolutely not. I, you know, it says in the Bible that God turns our sorrow into joy, and the joy of the Lord is our strength, and he takes our sin, and he throws it as far as the east is from the west. 
but it's the understanding that it's what the sin that's in our life is what sent Jesus to the cross. Here's the blessing. If we live that way, we'll be truly comforted. Isn't it interesting that in life we run to our sin for comfort? And it will always leave us wanting and it will always leave us unfulfilled. And yet if we will run to Jesus, he will truly comfort us. You know, it's a little, it's kind of crazy. Let's go on to the next one. Blessed are the meek. This one's awesome, man. It's gentleness and patience extended towards others. It's someone who doesn't aggressively insist on his or her own rights. And this, this one is, is amazing. Having the ability to assert yourself but choosing not to. You have the right and the ability to step in and say no or whatever it is, but yet you choose not to do that. The perfect example of this is Jesus Christ. When he's standing before Pontius Pilate and all these people trying to kill him and they're accusing him of everything, in that moment he stayed completely silent. Having every right to assert himself and have every right of just destroying everybody in that moment and saying no, he stayed silent because he knew what he was about to go do was much more important than his current comfort. Think about this, man. He's sitting there and all these people are screaming at him. And he's, he's probably, he's got to be thinking, man, I created you. And you're yelling at me and calling me terrible names and I love you so much. And you're going to crucify me and you're going to put the crown of thorns on my head and that's okay. I love you. Think about that. He was completely meek in that moment. Here's the, here's the blessing. The blessing is that you'll inherit the earth. You see, if we live a life of meekness, when we go to heaven, we get ownership in the kingdom of God and in the recreated earth. How incredible is that, guys? It's amazing. The next one, I love this one. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. This just simply means an intense desire to see God's standards established and obeyed in every area of our lives. It's an unquenchable desire to become more like God. You see, it's not this occasional Christian living, like I come to church, you know, and then, no, it's a, it's a, you wake up in the morning and you desire and you, you just beg God to show you something today and you beg God to come a little bit closer and you hunger and thirst for righteousness. You hunger and thirst and you desire to obey everything that God's told us to do in our lives. Here's the blessing. The blessing is that you'll be filled. You see, if you and I will hunger and thirst after the right things in our life, we'll actually be, be satisfied. But if you and I choose a wrong path and we, we hunger and thirst for things that are not righteous, you and I will be unfulfilled, we will not be filled, and we will be left wanting. We have to understand that we need to hunger and thirst for the things of God. And if we do that, we're going to be filled. Next one. This is merciful. Blessed are the merciful. It means being generous or forgiving of others, uh, having compassion for the suffering. Here's what I love. Here's how I think about it. It's loving somebody to the point of it costing you something. Loving somebody to the point of it actually costing you something. How many times are we always trying to go and, you know, exact our revenge on something or, or go make things right or I'm going to go get mine, you know, and I'm going to do this and, and they, they did this and I'm going to just run over, you know. We live this life of always trying to one-up somebody and yet God says, blessed, happy are the people that show mercy. All right, here's the blessing. You will receive mercy at the very end of your life. If, he, if here on earth you're willing to show mercy, at the end of your life, God in that last day show mercy to you and you'll be accepted into heaven. How incredible is that? It's amazing. 
The next one, blessed are, are the pure in heart. This means just upright, righteous, clean, blameless. If we live this way, here's the blessing. The blessing is you will see God. You see, at the very center of who you and I are, uh, the heart of us, we need to seek purity. We need to seek purity. And if we have a pure heart, we get to see God. We get to go to heaven. We get to be with him. And honestly, I think this blessing uh, also is uh, here on earth as well. You know, you know, you have people in your life that are absolutely just God-honoring, and they seek the face of God, and it's almost as if they got God on speed dial, and, and they're just so pure in heart, and it seems like they just have this, they, they just have this sight that, you, that, that I don't have. They can see the ways of God, and they can understand the ways of God. It's because they have a pure heart. Next one, peacemakers. There's two more, and then we'll move on. But peacemakers, this one's amazing, man. It's people who reconcile people to God and to one another. It's people who reconcile people to God and to each other. See, there's a massive difference between uh, a peacekeeper and a peacemaker, right? A peacekeeper is somebody who steps in the middle of a quarrel and says, stop it, okay, quit kicking each other, okay, you go home, and then you go to the corner, right? Just stop the fight. But what you and I are called to as Christians are to make peace. It's to take these two people and say, okay, guys, what's going on? Where's the hurt? Okay, let's forgive one another. Let's reconcile one another to each other. There are probably many people in this room that have, you guys have broken relationships. You have a relationship that's been severed maybe for many, many years. Do you know you're called to make peace? I had a mentor tell me in my life many years ago, he said, Matt, it doesn't matter if you are 100% in the right and they are 100% in the wrong, it's your responsibility to go to them and make the peace. It's your responsibility to go and reconcile that relationship. You have probably relationships uh, in your life that have been, that maybe they're upset at God or they're angry or they've run from the Lord and they, they stop coming to church or they just quit, they just quit all of a sudden. You know, making peace is going to that person and helping them reconcile back to Jesus. It's important, guys. It's important that we become people that make peace. Here's the blessing. If we live that way, you will be called God's God's sons. You will be identified as somebody being like God. How incredible is that, guys? This is what we're called to do. This is what we're called to be. And the last one is this. Blessed are those who are persecuted. This one's not so much fun. So (laughs) subject to hostility and ill treatment, putting your reputation and your physical life on the line for your allegiance to God. You can imagine the disciples standing around him as he's saying this. You know, these disciples were persecuted. It says in there, just like the prophets before you were persecuted, made fun of, talked about. But blessed are you, happy are you. They're probably thinking, Jesus, you're absolutely crazy. He's talking about, you may receive suffering here on this earth, but this earth isn't the end game, guys. Heaven is. Heaven's the end game. And here's the reward. Here's the blessing. Your reward is heaven. Let me, let me ask you this question because this is what, God dropped this bomb on me as I was writing this, okay? And uh, just preface it with, I'm sorry, so it's going to be hard. No. Um, he said, Matt, or this, this is just what I sensed. Matt, if I am living a life outside of persecution, am I truly living a life like this? 
if people aren't making fun of me for being a Jesus fanatic, if people aren't laughing at me because I put him first, if people aren't saying things bad about me because of my allegiance to God, I need to question whether or not I'm living that way. So if you live this way, your reward is heaven. Your reward is heaven. Now, take all that information, package it up, put it in your brain, put it in like a catalog, right? Okay. I want to break it down simple for you and me because that seems like a lot, right? That's a lot, a lot of stuff. Each of these beatitudes deals with one of two things, pursuing God and loving people. Pursuing God and loving people. And this is what I want you to go home with today. True happiness is gained by loving God and loving people. True happiness is gained by loving God and loving people. Each one of those beatitudes has to do with, the, that, with these two things. And that's what Jesus is saying. And the rest of his ministry, think about it. That's what he talks about when he goes and ministers to people. What's the greatest commandment? That you love the Lord your God with all your heart. And the second one is like it. What is it? To you love your neighbor as yourself. It's, it's his message. It's what Jesus came to earth to tell us to do. And that's what I want you to go home with right now. You see... God, in his great love, created a plan for our happiness. God, in his great love, created a plan for us. It's like a child. It's like a father to a child. I've got two boys. I've got Elijah. He's 10. And I've got Jackson. He is 7, right? And how many of you are parents? You've got young ones? Okay, right? And, as, and through your parenting, and as you guide them, and as you discipline them, and as you direct them... You know, ultimately, as a parent, what is truly going to make them happy. You see, my kids, they want to eat every piece of candy in the house every day, and they want to stay up till midnight every day. And when, as a parent, I tell them, hey, that's not good for you, they think, in that moment, I'm trying to not make them happy. Right? They think that, man, you're just a terrible dad. You don't want me to be happy. No. Here's the deal. As a father, I understand what will ultimately make him happy. If he eats every piece of candy in the house, he's going to be sick. If he doesn't go to sleep at a good time, he's not going to be able to wake up and experience life you know, well on the next day. That'll make him sick. See, I can see it as his father. And that's what the Lord is doing right here. That's what Jesus is doing. He's breaking this down for us. He's saying, as your father... As your heavenly father, I have the plan for you. And though it may look ridiculous and it may look awful and it may look hard, I need you to trust me. I need you to trust me. So where does that leave us? Where does that leave you and I? You know, I, I, believe, I believe that the enemy can sometimes use this list as a trap. And I want you to hear me for just the next couple of minutes here. The enemy can whisper into your ear and he could say, Hey, Matt, you ain't living like this, bro. You're doing good enough to show up to church on Sunday morning. There's no way you're ever going to measure up to this list. You ought to just quit now. There's no way you're failing at this, Matt. And the Lord told me, he's like, Matt, here's, here's, here's my response. Exactly. You see, there's always going to be a gap between where God wants us to be and the values that he's called us to and where we actually are. And in that gap, that's where grace sits. It's the grace of God and it's the work of the Holy Spirit that he's doing inside of us. You see, it's very, very important. You see, this list isn't a, a spiritual high bar for us to look at and say, well, good gracious, there's no way I'll ever be able to, to achieve this thing. It's an opportunity for us to allow God to do a work inside of our hearts. You see, I believe the Beatitudes are a dual role. It's a dual message. It's for us to recognize the grace of God in our life and it's also, it requires our effort. You see, there's nothing that you and I can do to earn our salvation. But you see, the Christian life 
requires our effort. Y'all, we need to strive for a life that loves God and loves people. It's what we must run after each and every day. So what do we do? You know, I've had a lot of conversations with people that are like, man, how do I, how do I start a life like this? How do I pursue Jesus? How, you know, how do I have these things show up in my life? And here, here's, what, here's what I tell them, and I want to tell you, this is, this is what we need to start doing today, okay? When we pursue Jesus and when we run after him with all of our heart, these values begin to show up in our life. It's kind of reversing it. We don't need to approach this as a list form, and today I'm going to be poor in spirit, and today I'm going to mourn, and today I'm going to do this. No, if we would just run hard after Jesus each and every day, these values begin to take root in our life. Let me break it down for just a minute. The more I run to Jesus, the, the, just, the harder I pursue God, the more I understand I am nothing without him. The closer I get to Jesus, the more and more my sin just really just makes me sorrowful. R.C. Sprawl says it this way, the closer we are to God, the more the slightest sin will cause the deepest sorrow. The closer we are to Jesus, the more our sin causes us the deepest sorrow. You see, the closer we get to God and the more we hunger and thirst after him and him alone, the more you and I will be filled. The more we serve people, the more we love people, and the more that we extend mercy, the more mercy we're going to get. The more times we love people and reconcile them back to each other, the more times God's going to pour that out on us, and the more times we're going to be called the sons of God. You get what I'm saying? True happiness is gained by loving God and loving people. Loving God and loving people. That's how we get happiness, guys. And here, here's, here's the effect. I believe when, when, when we start living as Christians, when we live a life like this, I believe the world will begin to take notice. I believe our businesses, the business that we work in and the people and the coworkers that we're around will begin to take notice. I believe our family members will begin to take notice. I believe our friend groups will begin to take notice. And it will give you an opportunity to be a disciple in that moment and say, here's why I'm so happy. Man, why are you so stinking happy all the time? It's because of Jesus. It's because of Jesus in my life. You see, if we live a life that's pursuing God and loving people, the world's going to take notice. It's gonna be, you're going to get a platform to share Jesus with people, and that's what we're called to do. You see, I believe that the world is tired. I believe the world is tired of seeing Christians live halfway. I believe it. I believe the society, and they're just done with it, man. They're like, man, I just don't, this is crazy. But if you and I will commit to living a life that pursues and loves God with all your heart and you love people, it's going to give you a platform of sharing Jesus. You see, I think there are people in the world, in our communities, in our neighborhoods that are craving a life like this and they just don't know it yet. They're waiting on you to step up and say, you know what? Today, I'm making a stand. I'm going to live a life that pursues Jesus and loves people each and every day. Let's pray.